days he departed for Galilee, uh, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had come to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, the hour when he began to get better and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him your son will live and he himself believed in all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee now this is the word of the Lord you may be seated give you the main idea straight away the the main idea of this message is that uh, Jesus wants us to trust in him for new life instead of trusting in signs and wonders that's the point starting with the point um, when I was around 20 years old I was part of a, a Bible study group uh, all around kind of the same age a lot of us went to high school together uh, a lot of us went to college together, and I remember one Bible study, uh, one, of, uh, one of the young ladies brought a prayer request uh, to us, and she said her mother was, was gravely ill, and she had cancer, and the kind of cancer that she had was aggressive, uh, and it was terminal, and apart from a miracle, she would die, and so we all prayed fervently. We prayed for hours. We prayed for weeks and weeks and weeks. And she didn't get better. She got worse. And we continued to pray. We continued to pray and just cry our hearts out to God and, and plead with expectancy, knowing that, that God is powerful, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that God can and does heal we prayed to this God to heal our friend's mom about five or six weeks later we found out she passed away she died God took her home and that was young in my adult faith life and I remember thinking First, about my friend, would that be the end of her faith now that she's just seen her mother pass away in spite of all of this prayer? Would that be the end of my faith? And you can't tell me that we didn't pray long enough, we didn't pray strong enough, 
or we didn't pray with enough faith. We were all there together believing that God could do a miracle, and yet he said no. So what do we do with that? This morning, I want to explore the relationship between signs and wonders, miraculous power of God and faith, on the other hand. How do those relate to each other? Do signs and wonders guarantee faith? Do they guarantee belief? Or, or does seeing the lack of signs and wonders guarantee unbelief? What role do they play in our faith? In order to address these questions, I want to make two points about what signs and wonders are not before making one point about what signs and wonders are. Signs are not the point. That's point number one. Signs are not the point. Point number two, signs are not eternal life. And the third point is signs are for pointing to Jesus who brings eternal life. Those are my three points. Point number one, signs are not the point. Verse 43 through 45, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Stephanie and I, um, last summer, I think it was last summer, had the chance to go to New York, and, and New York City was, was really wonderful, and one of, one of the biggest attractions of New York is Times Square, and uh, there's a picture of Times Square. Have you ever been there? It's just this sort of overwhelming sensory overload. Uh, there's people, there's noise, there's lights. And, and one of the things that we notice especially are all these really huge signs just all around us. And, and these days, it's not just signs, they're actually big screens, like huge screens that are just incredible. You don't know how they make the screens that big, even screens that, that wrap around the building it's pretty incredible because you see the images just sort of wrapping around the building. And it's funny, you know, in, in all those signs, I don't remember really anything that was on them except the magnitude of the signs themselves, which is interesting. I'm not sure that's what the advertisers intended. Right? They want us to know not just the sign, the size of it. They want to, us to see the picture of what's on it. They want us to know where to go and spend our money, right? And that's the point of these signs but everyone loves a flashy sign everyone loves flashy signs and in John chapter 2 we read that Jesus went to Jerusalem and it says that everyone believed because of the signs he was doing in Jerusalem and yet Jesus didn't believe in them because he saw their heart he knew that they were all about the signs and not really about Jesus Here in this passage, Jesus finally goes back to Galilee after his stay over in Samaria. So that's where he just was. He was in Samaria. He talked to the Samaritan woman, right? He saw everything she did. 
she went and went, ran back to the town and told everyone about Jesus, and they believed, and he stayed there a couple days, but now he's moving forward. He's going back to his hometown in Galilee, the, the area. He's from Nazareth, but he's going back to his general hometown. And so uh, it, we read here that they welcome him, all the Galileans, they welcome Jesus back, but not just because he's their homeboy, but, be, but specifically because of what they saw him do in Jerusalem verse 45 so when he came to Galilee the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast for they too had gone to the feast so the feast would have been something that Jews from all over the area would have went to Passover it was really important and so all of his hometown buddies also went they saw what Jesus did and it's because of that that they welcomed him come back you did all the signs who doesn't love signs and wonders? Right? If you can do signs and wonders, you are guaranteed to draw a crowd. Right? That happens today. We call them magicians. Right? Whether it's uh, Stephanie and I used to watch uh, Michael Carbonaro on Netflix. And he does some crazy tricks. One trick he did where he went to a, a flea market and had a suitcase, a suitcase that was empty, an old suitcase, and they, he bargained with the, with the guy to get it down to 20 bucks, and, and so he closes the suitcase, and he opens up, it's full of like $20 bills, and he takes one of the $20 bills and hands it to the guy and says, it's a pretty good deal, and takes the case. Some of you may have heard, or if you go back old school, David Copperfield, right, making the Statue of Liberty disappear in front of a live audience. Like, that's an iconic sort of trick of impossibility. Like, if you know how to do these tricks, you will draw a crowd. People are enamored with signs and wonders. But even more so, not just for entertainment value, if you can move that trick to actually personally benefiting you, it's an even better trick. So when Jesus turned water into wine to save a party from disaster, like those are the kind of tricks that we like. It benefits us. We love signs and wonders, especially when they benefit us. Now, as Jesus starts to perform these miraculous signs and wonders, we have to ask the question, what is his purpose for these signs and wonders? Part of the answer is found in what John is calling these things. These miracles. And even now, these healings. John, and they are, they are miracles. They are healings. They are amazing feats. But John calls them signs. And he calls them signs for a reason. Signs are helpful. They're directional. They point to something. They're not meant to be the point. They point to something. Right? If you're on the highway, signs are helpful at a glance, but not if you stare at them indefinitely. Right? At a glance, a sign can help you get to where you want to go, but too much attention paid to a sign can lead to a crash. And that's the point of what what John is making is that these miracles, these healings, this evident manifest power of God are meant to point to something. They are not themselves the point. Jesus is performing signs and not tricks. 
And therefore, his purpose is not to entertain. His purpose is not even merely to bring physical healing, but his purpose is to point to something else. And we saw that even in the story where he, uh, with the Samaritan woman, where he does this thing that is pretty incredible, where he's able to tell her about what she's done, right, in her life. And that to her was the key to going, okay, you're something more than just a regular person. But it wasn't, that wasn't the mere point was to demonstrate his power. The point was to show that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world. And so what Jesus does is he's using these signs to point back to him. The signs themselves are not the point. And the signs are not the point because the signs by themselves do not provide eternal life. And that's my second point. Signs are not eternal life. Verse 46 through 49. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Now, I used to ask the question, why doesn't God do more miracles? Surely, if God did more miracles, wouldn't there be more belief? Wouldn't more people believe in God if God regularly demonstrated his power like here and now, in our lives, personally, experientially. Or maybe you've made a bargain with God. You've been in some major jam, and you don't see a way out. And so you've said, God, if you will help me get out of this jam, if you will do just this one thing for me, I'll rededicate my life to you completely i'll never run away from you again i don't know if you've ever made that bargain there's a a story that i like um, this is where the commentary comes in so dr gary burge he's a professor at calvin theological seminary uh, he writes this or he recalls this story he says during my first semester in seminary a professor told me a remarkable story from his early years as a young pastor a young woman who had become critically ill ill and her prognosis was grim she would likely die within the year her family had a nominal easter and christmas only commitment to the church so the discussions in the hospital between this young pastor and this family always plowed new ground the woman challenged him. If Jesus healed in the Bible, he should be able to heal me today. If not, what use was he? So she prayed. The pastor prayed. The whole family prayed and pleaded and begged and bargained. If God would only show mercy, the family urged, they would completely recommit themselves and come to church every Sunday. This earnest young pastor prayed with all his heart, 
He refused to join the ranks of those who said, if it is thy will, it was God's will that she be healed, he concluded. Then, to his amazement, God healed her completely. And with the physicians shaking their heads, she was sent home from the hospital. Next Sunday, the entire family was there in the front pew, dressed and sparkling. The young woman gave her testimony, praising God for his goodness. The following Sunday, the family was there again. In four weeks, it was only her woman, only the woman and the husband. After that, attendance was sporadic until they dropped into their previous pattern. Before long, the woman rationalized the entire incident. She had experienced the most dramatic sign that God could give her, healing, bathed in prayer and surrounded by the church. But after only two months, its power dimmed to nothing. Reality is that signs and wonders are not eternal life. They're not eternal life because signs and wonders alone do not bring transformation. They can transform our circumstances, but they cannot transform our hearts. And if we understand the story of what the Bible is saying, the problem that we're in, that we are all in, is that our hearts need transformation. Yeah, our circumstances are bad, but the root cause is our hearts. They need to be transformed. And so you can transform circumstances all you want, but it's like... It's like you're taking oh, the scripture verse, this broken sister, and you're trying to put like tape around this broken sister to plug this one little leak that has the water, and you think you fix it, but you don't realize that around there's like thousands of leaks. We can't fix our circumstances without fixing our hearts. And so what Jesus is saying, these signs and wonders are meant to point you to a person who transforms your heart, not the signs and wonders. And so it's a false notion when we think that, oh, if God just did more miracles, then we would believe. There's lots of people saw God do miracles in his and still didn't believe. Look at the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees didn't doubt that Jesus was powerful. They were mad that Jesus was powerful. They were mad because he healed on the Sabbath. How dare he heal someone on the Sabbath? What a bad man. Pharisees didn't doubt his power. They didn't doubt the miraculous power of God. That alone was not enough to change their hearts. And it's not enough to change our hearts. It's a lie that we would believe. If God would just do more miracles, then that would build our faith. Here in the text, we meet a man who is in need of a miracle. He's called an official. He's a a royal official, which means uh, he was almost certainly a non-Jew and probably a Roman because Rome was in charge. So he's an official. So he's a man who has some importance. He's a man who has some resources. But he does need one thing. He needs 
a miracle for his son. His son is at the point of death. And so he hears that Jesus is coming back to town. So evidently, we understand that Jesus has a reputation that precedes him. Even in, we haven't even gotten too far into the story. We only have just a couple of recorded signs, but it says he was doing things in Jerusalem, doing signs. And so evidently, that reputation had gone forth. And so he hears Jesus is back in town, and he believes that at some level, Jesus might be able to do something about his son. We also know that this is probably a last resort type of a thing. He's a person who would have had the resources to get the best physicians to come see his son. And yet he's choosing to leave his son who's dying in search of a solution. If you had a dying loved one, what's the last thing you would want to do? To leave them. So he's desperate. He needs a solution. He doesn't have any. His money, his importance, his, his connections evidently have not brought the healing that he wants and desires for his son and so he hears about jesus as i myself i'm not going to send someone i myself am going to leave and go and see this person who might be able to bring healing to my son and so he goes 20 miles away capernaum and cana 20 miles if he walked or ran it would have been most of the day if he took a horse it would have been a few hours but he went to cana And he went to Jesus, and he asked, and he pleaded, Would you come down and heal my son? In face of this important important man's desperate plea to heal his son, Jesus' response is remarkable and telling. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe now if you believe that Jesus primary objective in life his primary purpose is to bring physical healing to everyone who asks then his response kind of doesn't make sense his response is odd in the face of the suffering that this man is bringing to him like you would expect if Jesus' primary purpose was to bring physical healing, that he would have responded like, I'm so sorry to hear about your sick son. Let me see what I can do for him. All your pa- the pain and suffering that you must be feeling must be incredible. I'm so sorry. He doesn't answer that way. He says his response is actually a rebuke. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, When he's saying you, it's plural. So he's talking both to the official and he's talking to the people. You all, you people, you could translate it, you all or you people, unless you all see signs and wonders, you people won't believe. That's what he's saying. In other words, all you care about is signs and wonders. What does Jesus care about? What does Jesus care about? Why does he respond in this way? It's almost this abrasive way, this rebuking way, in light of this man's heartfelt need. 
for his son. It makes sense if you understand that Jesus is not, Jesus is trying to get them to pay attention to something better, namely himself. Healings, all healings are temporary. That boy, he was healed. Spoiler. But later he's going to die. There's a bigger problem in the world and in life in general. Jesus didn't just come to solve the small problems. He came to solve the big problem. And, And the same thing, it's basically the same thing what he was doing with the woman in the last chapter where the woman was focused on finding this magic water Jesus said, I'm not talking about H2O, I'm talking about something bigger. And what he's doing there is he's trying to get them to take their minds off of just the present, as hard and as painful and as gut-wrenching as it can be, and to put their eyes on something bigger, himself. He wants people to believe in him, not in the signs. Not just in the signs. How about us? Are we really after Jesus? Or do we just want our lives fixed? Do we really seek to be with Jesus? Do we really seek the presence of Jesus in our lives? Or do we just want our circumstances changed so that we have health and prosperity and can live in comfort? Do we want Jesus? That's the question that God is placing before us this morning. Are we satisfied with Jesus being enough in our lives? Is he good? Is he great? Is he gracious? Is he glorious to us? Are we okay with just accepting his gifts and ignoring the giver? Jesus loves us too much to leave us enamorated with only the gifts. And so what Jesus does is he heals the man. He heals the, son, the, the man's son in such a way that will force him, that will force him to cast his eyes upon Jesus. I want to encourage you to look to Jesus, not primarily as the one that can fix your existing life, but as the one who can give you a completely new one. So we move to the final point. The good news is that Jesus doesn't want the official to settle, and so he does this. He heals him in a way that's incredible. So... Let's, let's continue. The, the final point. Signs are for pointing to Jesus who brings eternal life. Starting verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word, and Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So we asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour... The fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Now, this was the second sign that Jesus did when he came from 
Judea to Galilee. Now, in verse 49, the official said, Sir, come down to heal my son. Two things to note about that. That's verse 49. Number one is he's giving a command. Interesting. He went from asking, pleading, please come down, to come down. I'm an official. Come down. Heal my son. The second interesting thing is the official has an assumption of what healing should look like. It'd be the same assumption we would make. In, in healing, if, if someone's sick enough, you need to see a doctor. Right? If, if you need to be in the presence of a doctor. The doctor can do the exam. So the doctor can look down your throat. So the doctor can hear your heart. Right? If you are sick enough and you need surgery, you need a surgeon's hands to be present. That's how healing works. And that's how he understood healing. Okay, I believe that this man can do something, but it's within the paradigm of how he understands healing to work. He must come down and visit his son so he can do whatever he can do to heal him. And so Jesus says, I'm going to break your paradigm. And I'm going to meet your need. And this is how he does it. He responds in verse 50 to the official's command with another command. He says, go. Abruptly. Right? I mean, can you just picture this? This man's like, come down and heal my son. Like, this is drama, right? If you're watching it on the, on the movie screen. And Jesus, he doesn't break down and cry. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to get on the horse and go. And he says, Go. Your son will live. And at that point, the official has a choice. He can believe his word and go, or he can continue to disbelieve and say, no, that's not possible. Jesus, you need to come down here. You need to get on this horse. We need to get there and save him. And at that point, the beautiful thing is it says in verse 50, the second part. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This picture of Jesus, it goes back to chapter 1. The word was with God and the word was God. And we get this picture of this word as being the one through whom all creation was spoken into being by the power of his word. This is the same person, Jesus, who is now saying, go, your son will live. He wasn't predicting a healing. He was making a healing by the power of his words. And the official believed. The official believed enough to go. So he follows him. He goes. And it's interesting. As he goes, what, what happens? We see that some people come up and meet him along the way. And they say, you know what? Your son is recovering. That's good news. And then what does he do? He asks him, what time? What time did he start recovering? Like how many of us would do the same thing? Right? What are we doing at that point? We're saying, is it really a miracle? 
did Jesus really do that, or was he already recovering beforehand? He was looking for a way to write him off, and Jesus said, no, you're not going to write me off, because he was going to keep that fever until I spoke. And when he spoke, the fever left, and he matched the times, and he knew. And it says, he himself believed. Why does it say that? Didn't he believe when he went to Jesus in the first place? Didn't he believe when Jesus said, go, your son will live, and he went back home? And yet again, it says, he himself believed after he saw that the times aligned. And I think what's happening is he went from believing that God uh, could heal his son to believing that God would heal his son to seeing that God did heal his son and now he believes not just in the miracle but he believes now in the person who did the miracle and then it says his whole household believed they didn't believe automatically they believed because he spoke about what Jesus did to his whole family and you can picture it probably the same thing what that Samaritan woman did when she ran back to town and said look I, I met the man who told me everything I ever did and so this man is saying look this guy told me that my son would live and now he's living this Jesus he is important he is special we believe in him they believed and Jesus accomplishes both solving his immediate need but and then also casting his eyes to jesus so that they would believe not just in the miracles but believe in jesus jesus used this healing as a sign to point to himself as the one alone who can bring life now this begs the question should we all expect to see personally miracles of God in order to believe? And I would answer no. Because signs are not the point. Because signs are not the point, we don't all need personal, immediate, and experiential miracles from God. We should not expect them to happen always for us on demand. We don't command God that way. And, and, and we see this. So we see here God does answer in the form of, of granting a miracle. But when he was in Jerusalem and he overturned the tables and he whipped the merchants out, they said, show us a sign. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. The sign I'm going to give you is my resurrection. And they didn't even understand that. So just because we demand and ask God of a sign doesn't mean he owes us a sign. Jesus has given us enough signs. In part, the signs that are recorded in here are for our faith as well. Like the point of what John says in, in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, the reason why all these things are recorded is so that you would believe in him and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the one who gives everlasting life. So this story is also for us, that by faith we can believe that Jesus does have the power to heal. He did heal. He did all these things, including rise from the grave, which is the most amazing miracle of all, and that we can look 
at that and say, because he rose from the grave, he is the savior of the world. He is the one who brings the transformation in our hearts that we genuinely need. Not merely the changing of circumstances. As we think about why we have hope, we have hope because of the presence of the God here and now through Jesus. But we also have hope because of what he will do when he comes back. So that pain and suffering and the circumstances of sin and evil and wickedness and death, God does promise to change all those things when he comes back in glory. And yes, sometimes he will change them now. And I've seen God come through with financial breakthroughs, with relational breakthroughs, with spiritual breakthroughs. So this is by no means uh, meant to say don't pray and ask God for those things. God is a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. But we don't ask for these things as a means of trying to prove that God is who he says he is. There's a difference. God has given us everything we need to understand and know and believe he is who he says he is. And when we start there in faith, then we go to God in faith. God, you're a good father. I'm asking you to do this thing. And sometimes he'll do it and sometimes he won't. But in both cases, we can be, we can be, we can know that he loves us. In some cases, he'll answer miraculously and we say, praise God, you met my need. And I can testify he's done that. And many of you can testify that he's done that. But there were some times when God says, no, I'm not. Just like he said to Paul, I have this thorn in my flesh. And Paul pleads with God, remove it. And God says, my grace is sufficient in you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And the gift that God gives us in the midst of troubling circumstances is his presence in the midst of our suffering. That is a gift of God. That in itself, faith, is perhaps the greatest miracle of all. And so I want to encourage us. The God who did this healing is the God who is alive and well with us today. And the suffering and the pain of the circumstances that we endure are not meant to last forever but that God has demonstrated in his resurrection that he's overcome it all and in the midst and he's demonstrated by coming down to be with us that he's present with it with us through it all we serve a God who doesn't love us from a distance but loves us up close and personally and intimately and so I want us to look not to the signs not just to the miraculous, but to look to Jesus. The signs point to Jesus as the only one who brings the transformation, the peace, the love, and the hope that we desperately need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending your Son Jesus to die for our sins to give us new life to give us eternal life Lord your word says when we believe we have eternal life now and Lord I, I know that 
there are circumstances that many of us are going through that are painful, that are gut-wrenching, that are frustrating. And Lord, I ask that you would bring, bring miracles in our lives, bring healing in our lives. Lord, bring, uh, bring transformation. But Lord, I, I ask that you would help us not to focus on our circumstances, but to focus on you. Give us faith, Father, to, to trust in the work that you've done through your son, Jesus. Give us faith to, to believe and understand and know the extent to which you've loved us and sacrificed for us. Give us faith to believe and the hope in your coming again to make all things right, to make all things new. Help us to believe that you're here with us, even now, present with us through your Holy Spirit, which fills your temple, which fills your church. Help us to know you. Help us to meet you every day, every moment in good times and in bad times. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, At this time also, uh, we celebrate communion where we 